0: Welcome to Rebel High Command Cast, an Imperial Assault Podcast for 2023 and beyond. This podcast is hosted by the IA Command YouTube channel and sponsored by listeners like you through Patreon. If you want to support IA content in 2023, head over to Patreon.com slash command and become a patron today. And a huge thank you to all my patrons who help support all of my content. You guys are awesome this is episode 16 i am your host tv boy aka noah and i am joined by my co-host today the second flock aka wesley wesley how you doing
1: hey doing great you know good christmas break time we'd we'll be gone for a little bit um i think we're actually on 15 though
0: oh, sorry 15 ah i messed it up that's okay <laughs> we're we're back yeah that's right um we're on 15 we did you actually did 14 without me which was great i really enjoyed listening to that episode um and i think i'm glad i don't know if you caught any of those little visual edits i put in there i did actually i'm surprised you (laughs) went through the trouble um but that was awesome thank you for editing that um i did enjoy that (laughs) those little those little things that you added in (laughs) <laughs> um yeah and welcome welcome back um to both you and myself and our our listeners who are uh listening to this content We did take a little bit of a break there i um had some health issues that i wanted to deal with including my voice it just didn't seem to come back until uh recently um a couple weeks ago I finally was starting to sound not like a horrible horrible frog band so although maybe that's my normal mm-hmm. maybe some people will say that's how i that is actually how I sound. So, <laughs> there's definitely see. a
1: difference in some of those podcast episodes we did.
0: Yeah, that was tough, but uh, I'm glad to. I'm glad we're back doing this, and uh, we got a good topic to talk about uh, for our episode coming back. We have a new map rotating in for ISCP competitive play uh, as of March. Uh, is going to be Tarkin Initiative Labs, so we're going to be talking about that map today. Uh, that's going to be a fun one, and that's actually going to be uh, that's an important one both for our competitive players, for also for anyone going to Adepticon, that is going to be legal for the Adepticon tournament on March 25th, so very important uh, for those folks, especially if you haven't played this map, it's been a while, it's been a few years, um, especially people that have joined after IACP, uh, this is going to be a new map for you. Um, Alright, so before we do anything, let's get into uh, community updates to let you guys know what's been going on in the world of Imperial Assault since we've been gone. And I'm going to record it separately here. Okay, not a whole lot of community updates of uh, this episode for the Imperial Assault community. However, we do have a new Patreon supporter for the channel that I want to give a shout-out to and a thank you. Um, a huge thank you to, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Yuha Uh I probably didn't pronounce it correctly but a huge thank you nonetheless and I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce your name right uh, but thank you for supporting Imperial Assault content here in 2023 um, all of your support is huge and I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters uh, that do, do support the channel you guys are amazing and um, you're keeping this channel going I uh, do have one other update for ICP players especially those who are going to be playing at Adepticon on the 25th uh, I have been working uh, pretty hard on getting the printable ICP card sheets updated. Um, I went back and looked at them, and they're, they were a bit of a mess, to be honest, uh, the person that, were make, that was making them before me um, and uh, from when I took them on. Um, so I have updated them. The, now all the cards are flush with each other, so you just can cut them apart with one cut instead of having to make multiple cuts. Also, the cards are much more organized uh, by faction and by, like, figure and, and card, also a bunch of the tokens that are not necessary because they're already in um, Imperial Assault were removed, so definitely check that out. So far, I have finished all of them except Season 6. I'm still working on Season 6, but probably by the time you hear this, it will be done and updated on the ICP website. So, uh, if you're going to be playing Adepticon or if you just haven't uh, printed out cards yet for ICP, that should be a lot easier now. Alright, back to the show. Alright, and we are back, so going into our um, next segment here. Um, We have comms chatter. but uh, Wesley, I actually want to catch up with you and see what you've been up to uh, since we've been gone. Have you been playing uh, any games, either Imperial Assault or otherwise related?
1: Imperial Assault? I've been doing a shorter campaign, I think. I think I've only done one mission of the campaign since we last did an episode, because I think I already spoke to the second mission of that. We're doing your Edge of Oblivion. Uh, we finally pumped out the third mission, but I think holidays have kind of made it slow to get through the last one. Um, so as far as that third mission went, it was the Grand Inquisitor mission, and I was excited to have, hopefully have a chance to win that one. I'm 0-2 in this campaign as the Imperial so far. Um, and Gerard has become an unkillable nightmare and is the only one with the bounty token because I'm using the Jabba's, uh, Jabba's Hunters or whatever it's called, the Bounty Hunter Imperial deck. And so until I wound Gerard, uh, basically half my class deck doesn't work against everyone else. <laughs> so I actually went for the other 4 XP card, the one I think a lot of people take, is the one where if you shoot the bounty token heroes, you get plus three damage once per round. Uh, Instead of going for the campaign version of Assassinate, I went for the other one, which is every time you deploy a skunk unit, they get hidden, and all Imperial figures get access to new surge abilities, surge to pierce two, surge to plus one damage and plus two accuracy, and surge to hide. And so my thought there was uh, the objective for the Imperials on the Grand Inquisitor mission was actually to take down objectives, like the Imperials need to storm a rebel base, where Imperial Assault is usually the opposite. And so I had to take these objectives, and I thought, well, if I just make all of my units a little generically stronger, they're going to have a better shot at taking these things down. And, uh, you know, I just started to spam the map with a bunch of very low-cost... Scum units, so I was playing Lothcats, Hired Guns, regular Jawas. Because it'd be two-point figures with access to Surge to Pierce 2, access to a damage and accuracy Surge. Uh, they could rehide. they started with a hide. And even the Jawa with a Surge to plus 2 and 8 is pretty good. And some of those figures like Hired Guns, they can over-surge sometimes. So I could keep adding more damage because of the class card. And so I started swarming in. Um, the heroes were picking them off like flies. I got through about half of the objectives, and then the Grand Inquisitor shows up round three and he's ready to, you know, go do these big shots on certain heroes. And then the heroes realized that they could put two of their guys in front of a door to the last objective, and they did that. And then I realized that the only way for me as the Imperial to get to the last objective, and I'm on a timer here, would be to kill basically enough rebels so that i could get a shot at the door Um, because in this mission the rebels could walk through the doors like they weren't there but the imperials had to shoot down the doors they had like five health and because i didn't shoot it one in time they basically ran up on it pushed my guys out of the way with onar and obi-wan and stood there and said okay you have to wound and then defeat a unit to remove it from the board to get access to shoot at the door and you have a round and a half And I was like, oh man, I can't even kill Gerard once. So, that wound up being my downfall on that mission. But it was a fun time.
0: Alright, so that's your uh, primary objective for your next mission, then. Wound Gerard. (laughs) You You know, the
1: next one is is weird. It's the Greedo mission.
0: Oh, that's the finale, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're going into the finale. Oh, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Like, you pick one of the heroes, and if you wound them, you win, but if there's a healthy hero next to them, they can, like, take the shots, or it's like you can't even target them. Um, Uh, so I, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to make Gerard my primary target, because then someone just has to stand next to him, and then he can't get shot at. Yeah. But if I make anyone else the primary target, Gerard's just going to stand next to them, and I'm going to have to take out Gerard to uh, get a chance to take out them out.
0: Yeah, I think so. it's going to be stuff. rough. Yep. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Um, and then the next thing I wanted to talk about was the current status of the Community Makes the Card project. Um, how has that been going? Because I know that uh, you're idea actually was the one that got voted and chosen um, for that project so how's that been going from your perspective I'm, I'm very curious to hear
1: yeah so it was uh, very exciting that it got that my idea got chosen and I was actually perplexed um, on the first week when we were choosing these ideas someone there were a couple people that kind of posted like five six or eight just generic ideas some of them were cards and some of them were just hey this is how you should balance skirmish um, yeah. Like, from a rules standpoint, and I think you probably reached out and tried to tell them, hey, you know, submit one of these as an official idea, we're looking for a card idea. And one of the options I saw on one of those posts was, hey, let's make Specter Cell, but for the characters of A New Hope. You know, like a, like a faction card that brings all the, the OG cast together. And I know people have been talking about that for a while, that that would be cool. And so I was shocked when that wasn't somehow submitted and then automatically voted to the top of, of the races. But yeah, um, my original idea won, and then we went into you know a few more rounds, and I've been losing some of these community posts lately, which is good, because it's not just my card, it's the community's card. Um, so they've decided to make it a four-point skirmish, atta- skirmish attachment, which I think is... Hugely, you know, a huge cost, but maybe maybe they're just trying to trek carefully. And what's really interesting is the rules text. We had a week where we voted on that, and I wanted it to be based on like, okay, each round you get a token, and each time you get victory points from the mission, you get a token, and when you get enough tokens, you can do a giant explosion. Uh, that would be the air support or the orbital bombardment, which is the name of the card and it's all about airstrikes, and, you know, the community kind of said, oh, actually, no, let's make it an attachment for a figure, and basically they have to spend an action trying to, you know, talk to command to call in the air support to get them to come sooner. And I think, you know, at first I was like, okay, well, that's interesting, but uh, my idea lost, but, you know, that's fine. Now I'm actually relieved that that didn't win uh, because we're going to be talking about today's new map and what I didn't realize is that this map has a way to... You could potentially get victory points from this map on one of the missions like five or six times in a round. And my original wording of the card was balanced around you getting mission objective points once per round because that's what I've seen in most missions in the game. And you know, sometimes you have a way to get like a second set of mission victory points it around, but it's usually not just, like, you can take a few steps and gain more VPs.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually was going to say something similar, and actually, um, when I saw that that was one of the submissions to go based on scoring VPs from mission objectives, I um, was like, shoot, I wish I had been paying more attention. I would have advised this person that that didn't work out so well for us, and we did that with uh, Moff Gideon. So, yeah. Um, I think it's a good. Yeah, I. I also think I. I kind of like this design a little more, but, yeah, it's crazy. Four points for an attachment, and um, but it I don't does a these lot. These
1: listeners can hear my uh, cats fighting in the background. Ye- but I think I'm gonna separate
0: them. Okay, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'll just talk about this card. So, for those that are not watching on YouTube, I'll read it out. If, but what we have so far is a neutral card. So, it's faction neutral. It's uh, four points for an, a skirmish attachment. Uh, it can only go on a unique figure with figure cost four or more. Uh, and its special action is place a bombardment token on this card equal to the current round number. Then you can perform an attack. So, basically, you get a, a, an attack. Uh, Then, the second ability is, you may deplete this card at the start of your activation to choose a number of spaces equal to the number of bombardment tokens that were on this card. Each figure on a chosen space suffers two damage, and each figure on an adjacent space suffers one strain. So if you pop this on turn three you probably have three bombardment tokens on it, so you're choosing three spaces uh, to deal two damage to those figures and one strain to each adjacent figure. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, I would not be surprised. So we do have a final the final week for this project allows for revisions, and I would not be surprised. And I will probably recommend that if we just if, if we just removed the uh, one strain from adjacent figures. Um, I think this card could go down to two points. Because hmm. I think that's really what make pushes it over the top and made people want to vote for four points. Because we the overwhelming yeah. numbers were either four or two, which is yeah. yeah. interesting. Um, four or two points for this is what people wanted. And so I think the one strain really pushes it over. Um... Maybe that could hit a lot of people. Yeah, maybe lower it to one damage per space chosen because even that is really powerful. Um, being able to like just burst Palpatine tempt a bunch of figures, right? Like, tempt is we know tempt is very powerful ability from Palpatine. So, being able to like just do a bunch of figures, two points is a lot, two damage is a lot to just be able to deal from across the map. So, yeah, I'm not- I also think it was.
1: A, I think it's a little weird that they tacked on an attack to the bombardment tokens. But I think their their idea there was they also want the figure to be in the front lines and then potentially die before it can use the bombardment.
0: Yeah. So the yeah, I think the thought there was that we don't we. I think this was Derek's idea, and um, we try to avoid making cards that encourage people to stay in their deployment zone, because that's just not fun, and that's something we've seen in past Uh, Mm -hmm. strategies like Ugnaughts were very boring because they just stay in their deployment zone and send out the Junk Droid to do their dirty work Um, Jabba, it's kind of like that, although Jabba's the exception that's like that's okay, but we don't really want that for other strategies Um, so I think that was the thought process behind that, rewarding it with an attack, basically Um, Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, It's been an interesting process to watch, uh, for sure. Yeah, I think Joey made a comment that uh, so far it's shaping up to be insanely broken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, it's not. You're not wrong. Uh, but that's part of the process I think it's kind of funny um, and that revisions will come into play here both for the community the community will get a chance to revise this mm-hmm. and the steering committee will then get their hands on it um, and be like okay guys this is we've tested this for three or four weeks now this is ridiculous let's make this into a real card if that's the case although you know it might be fine as is once the community's done with it so we'll see how that goes <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny is that this wasn't actually my idea originally um, so I think you know I kind of read oh there's a community make a car contest alright let's see how many people submit Star Killer, and then I saw you know that it was just uh, skirmish attachments and everything and I was talking to a friend about it and we were both like oh okay well this is still kind of cool I guess now that we kind of get what it actually is about Uh, Not the make-your-own-star-killer competition. And then I looked in the new card thread in the Discord, the new card, custom card thread, and there were some people talking about an idea for, like, an airstrike, and I had seen this conversation come up a few times before in months past, so I just kind of joined the discussion, talked with them a bit about it, came up with a first draft of the card, and then said, okay, let's submit this idea. Because people seem to want some, like you know, spaceship or airstrike kind of representation to show that Star Wars has more than just ground battles, and IA is all about the ground battles.
0: Yeah, I will say one of my main goals with designing this um, process was to kind of mirror how the design process works on the back end when we're at the steering committee is designing cards, and it's honestly been pretty close to how it goes. Like that's often how it goes is somebody will submit like their custom card from the, the steering committee to the rest of the committee. The rest of the committee will be like, okay, that's interesting, but <laughs> what if it did this instead? And then we argue a bunch and then we, um, a bunch of people are putting in ideas and we make compromises and the card completely changes from what it originally looked like often with huge changes to the cost and stuff. And then we play it, and then find out. Oh my God! This is the most broken thing we've ever made. What are we doing? <laughs> like after like one game, this is ridiculously broken. And then go through the process again, redesign it, and um, so very similar. You're experiencing, you're getting to experience a very similar experience to how all the rest of the ICP cards are made by the steering committee. And that, that was the goal.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. It is
0: fun to do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, move on to, let's see. I guess we'll go ahead and move on to the uh, next section, which is comms chatter. So uh, you actually had found this comment. I saw this comment when it first was posted, um, and I meant to respond to it, but I, I couldn't quite. I know I wanted to articulate a nice like, good response, and I think this is a better way to do it. It's probably us discussed it on air. So, um, you, you grabbed this comment from, I think this was our last, uh, the one you did with your friend, right? hmm Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so this is
1: from... This is from the interview episode.
0: This is from Grant on the YouTube video. Uh, Grant said, "'I love the work you guys are doing, improving the meta through recosting existing characters, tweaking, and creating fun new characters.' My one criticism of the new and the new designs is the complexity creep that comes from added keywords. So he's talking about the thing that we did in Season 7, no, Season 6? Season 6, where we made professional, efficient travel, and priority target into keywords that go into the bars above the text box instead of being written out, um, which is similar to how things like mobile and massive are already handled. Um, mm-hmm. He says, I think the professional trait is something that's really attractive from a competitive perspective. That's it's true. However, I don't think it's necessary to liberally hand it out to new and revised character. Also, the more keywords get added, creates attacks on players' memory, and can create a barrier to new players. There's such a thing as too much cowbell. <laughs> um, he also says he s- would suggest a hard limit on the four boxes provided by the original card template for... Um, abilities and surge abilities. Um, I thought this was, yeah, I, I thought this was an excellent comment. This um, I'll speak from the steering committee perspective that this matches what we've heard and what we've personally like observed from gameplay and people just interacting with the cards. And so um, <clears throat> it's been a goal since season six is when we started to really notice it was becoming an issue. Um, and so season seven and on, like, uh, I'll, I'll give you guys a behind the scenes. Cad Bane had three abilities, um, when he first started and we were like, we, we, we shouldn't we should make this less complex. And he's still very complex, but he used to be even more complex. Um, so what's your, uh, Wesley, you, you grabbed this comment. What's your, uh, thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was gonna say that, you know, IACP only has the, I think it's like three traits, or three keywords, sorry, uh, three-ish keywords right now, professional, priority target, and efficient travel, and I don't think that efficient travel and priority target are liberally handed out, um, I think, like, You know, Priority Target was given to, like, the Flamethrower, the HKs from Season 7, and maybe one more thing. And, you know, at least for Priority Target and Professional, those are based on existing abilities that you see on other cards. So I think Professional, like the Elite Riot Troopers, have that ability. And it's, like, printed out in full text because it's one of their two abilities from the base game. And so I think that helps people when they see professional, you know, they kind of remember, oh, that's the thing from the other card with more explanation on it. I, I know that when I started playing, I did have to go look up what those traits were and understand them. And I think, you know, new players might get get thrown off and not know what those are. But I think within a few games, you kind of pick up on, you know, these traits. There's not that many of them. And I think that it's not adding too much complexity uh, because there are so few of them, and I don't think they're that liberally handed out. I do think we tend to, you guys tend to uh, hand out re-rolls to a lot of characters. But I think there's a there's a whole discussion to be had about like consistency versus the randomness. So I think re-roll is a very attractive trait to give people. So professional maybe we see a little more often, or at least different forms of re-rolls. Like on Luke Skywalker from Season 7.
0: Because
1: uh, I don't think that's called professional. It's just on his Heir to the Jedi card. And then, you know, hard limit on four boxes. My counterpoint to that is that I think even on FFG cards, how much did they squeeze into a box sometimes? Like, um, you know, you could have, like, plus one damage, plus one defense, like, innate traits for, for a figure and just put it in one box. Where on another card, it might be on two boxes. So, like, what's the definition of a box here? Usually, usually it's surge ability. But sometimes it's like multiple abilities being added to something. And then, of course, sometimes you have, you know, one of the card's abilities is like, oh, this is an extra surge ability that works slightly differently. And we gave it a whole effect. So now you can have five surge abilities if you want. So I think there's a soft limit we want to keep too. Um, But I also think you guys have a hard limit on how many abilities, or basically a hard limit on how many abilities you put on a deployment card. Like you said, Cad Bane, he's got two, he used to have three. Yeah, he is a more complex one, even with those two. But I think you guys have spoken to having a rule about like, oh, we put three abilities max on a card, and one of them needs to be really simple, if we do three.
0: Yeah, um... So the three keywords we added were all existing ones. So Efficient Travel, like Priority Target was already on the HKs from FFG. Um, efficient Travel is from the Snow Troopers and the Wampa and the Echo Base Troopers, I think. Um, so that was the reason we had chosen those, because we hope hoped they had been on enough cards. Priority Target was also on Elite Sabs. Um, from the FFG game. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had hoped people had been exposed enough to those keywords on multiple cards from the original game that it wouldn't be too hard to remember what they do, and they're pretty simple. Um, I think at one point we had talked about if we were going to keyword cunning, but we decided that one was a little too complex to turn into a keyword. Um, Is targeting
1: computer a keyword yet?
0: uh, It is not. Not an ICP. Um, It's the same thing as professional. It's also an ability on the HKs from the original game. Um, I was going to say, we actually, I'll say this. We don't have, uh, I'm pretty sure, we don't have any plans to uh, add any more keywords. uh, Because that is one of, we did get that comment from a lot of people, was that like, this is okay right now, but if you go too crazy with this, it's going to get it's going to become a major barrier to entry for people. So hmm. we're pretty happy with the three we chose um, because they do save a lot of space in the text box, allowing us to put professional up in a trait trait bar. Um, does save us a lot of uh, word space in the text box. Um, efficient travel and priority target are like. They're not as common. Actually, efficient travel is actually pretty useful, especially for large base figures that are not massive because those tend to... that are not massive or mobile because those tend to have a really hard time dealing with difficult terrain because they have to touch it usually sometimes, whereas, like, small figures can easily more easily move around difficult terrain. So efficient yeah. travel is actually pretty useful for... Like, it was really useful on the Dubax and Captain Tarot. Um, but yeah, we don't really have any plans to add more keywords, so, um, the other one, you know, oh, go ahead. I was
1: thinking of the keywords, um, my first thought is always
0: Captain Tarot
1: because he's got, like, four or five abilities, <laughs> and two of them are keywords, but then I look at the IACP card, and it's actually four abilities, but, uh, Efficient Travel and Professional aren't even keyword here, they're just <laughs> the abilities, because they fit on the card.
0: That was because they're not always shown as keywords. So, keywords were introduced in season six, the new keywords, um, and Mm. tarot came out in season five. So, we did not go back and retroactively change all instances of efficient travel, professional, and priority target to be up in the keyword bar um, because they worked as is, and it's just a lot of extra work. And asking our affiliates to do that work for minor gain Um, so we use them now to keep the text give us more space in the text box for more interesting abilities Um, the other thing that was mentioned was the hard limit on um, surge ability boxes to the original uh... original cards only had room for four maximum so like uh... I think Chewy has, like, four boxes or something. But um, I was originally in the same camp as this guy, um, as Grant. Uh, I was like, let's... I don't like this five ability boxes thing. Like, I, I tell people, like, we need to... it's like, one of the things that I have encouraged in the, from the committee is if your design does not fit on an FFG template, like the original FFG card template... Like the Boba Fett ICP does not. (laughs) Like we need to revisit (laughs) that, and like you need to shorten it. We need. It's too complex. It's too long. So I I encourage using the OG FFG card templates for like um, ridiculousness checks, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's probably a sign your design. Our design might be getting a little out of hand. Um, But I have come around to using that fifth. Um, surge box that the ISCP template gives us when we n- really really need it um, and sometimes you can't fit multiple keywords in one box uh, or for one, for one reason or another and um, so I, I'm okay with the five ability boxes sparingly um, but I think most of the time we can make do with four or less ideally
1: do you know of any cards that have five? The only one I see is Flame Trooper, which I think it's... admittedly is a whole new mechanic, and like it's already... If you're using a Flame Trooper, you're already going into the complexity land of, of new, interesting complex rules. Yeah,
0: I think Flame Trooper is the only one um, that I can think of. Uh, and that's where it came up, like, whoa, do we need to... Like, this has five abilities. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I think it made sense, because they wanted... I think we didn't have Bleed before I had something else. Uh, but mm. we ended up swapping in Bleed. Oh yeah, that's right, it didn't have five abilities. I think we realized we could add Bleed to the attack to get rid of the... that whatever that flame token was. Um, we just have Bleed mm. represent something being on fire. <laughs> uh, so... So yeah, um, good comment though. I, I like I liked uh, Grant's comments here, and complexity is something again we are definitely keeping in mind, and we are pushing our designs away from complexity, even though the natural inclination is for things to get more more complex as we push into deeper into the design space of the game. Um, You get into stuff where you want a card to do a certain thing, but uh, it's never been templated, and it's like the game isn't super set up to do the thing, but you can force it if you put enough words in the text box. (laughs) Uh, Right? So we're constantly battling that inclination towards more words uh, in the text box, and more abilities, and being like, okay... Where can we cut an ability here? Maybe we can redesign this or go in a different direction if we have to have this many words. Um, another thing is that I've noticed and pointed out to the folks and I, maybe somebody else. I think I pointed this out to the committee is sometimes we get to a point after playtesting something where we're like, this ability requires so many guardrails on it, which is what we call them, which is like where you have to say. A, to- a figure, but not a companion figure, or you know, a target, but not a target that costs less than this many points. You know, where you have to add these conditions onto an ability to keep it from being broken, um, and that that and that cer- at a certain point, if you get too many guardrails, it makes the ability so wordy that it becomes a word that it becomes people's mind just shut down as they're reading it, and they have to go back and read it over and over. And so we've said that. You know once you get to a point where you need too many guardrails on an ability, it might be time to just start over and look for a new a new ability that doesn't need so many guardrails on it. Mm-hmm. Just a, a tip for folks that maybe are looking at designing their own cards or whatever. Um, all right, so I think we can move on to the next thing. Um, we did have a rules question. Uh so I just want to talk about this briefly because I think it's gonna come up a lot for people that are new to ICP. Um specifically the ICP version of Assassinate. So Assassinate is one of the few cards in ICP that has actually been nerfed from the original game. And you cannot play Assassinate during an attack if you've already played another command card, and vice versa, you can't play any other command cards after you play Assassinate during an attack. Um so there's some questions on Discord about what that entails. I think that was a confused one cuz it was asking about mar jade which is not even a while you're attacking card.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah. Yeah. it's worth bringing up cuz there are some cards that people get wrong with assassinate. So basically there's three types of attack cards. There are cards that you play um I actually I'm gonna say four. There's a car- cards that you play before you even perform the attack. So an example would be Marksman, uh, used before declaring an, an attack. <coughs> there's cards that are used when you declare an attack, so like Element of Surprise. There's cards you play while attacking, which is like positioning advantage, um, and assassinate itself. Uh, and then there's cards you play after attack resolves. Uh, like, I think the example was Glory of the Kill. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the person was asking about Mara Jade's card, but that's when you're defending, not when you're attacking. So I think a substitute here is Glory of the Kill.
0: Yeah. So we we won't even talk about Mara Jade's card. But um, the general rule is cards that are played before you declare the attack and, or after the attack resolves, you can play those with Assassinate cards that are played when you declare the attack like element of surprise or tools for the job and while you're attacking like positioning advantage um, cannot be played with assassinate. Uh, we used to have a table that listed all the cards that you couldn't play with assassinate or examples in the FAQ for ICP. Uh, I've been, It's been requested to me to put that back in. I took it out because it <laughs> took up a whole page and i thought it was pretty intuitive but um so i think we're going to put it back in with the next when i update it for the new map uh, but i do want to bring up sorry one more thing about that um, there are cards like um, that you that are not related to attacking but if you are trying to play them while you're attacking and you use assassinate you can't play those cards uh in the prime example that I usually go tell people or have to explain to people is Celebration Um, a lot of people get this wrong and think that you can play Assassinate and Celebration on the same attack Uh, because I think people have this idea that a figure is defeated after the attack resolves uh, or they get mixed up but a figure is actually defeated while the attack is still resolving because it's defeated when it takes damage and damage is step 7 of performing an attack so, Celebration would be played when the figure, during the attack, uh, which means you can't play it if you've played Assassinate, uh, for at least the ISCP version. Um, yeah. Another, another one is Opportunistic. I think that's it, right? Yeah, Opportunistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, so, that's when a figure
1: receives damage? Yes.
0: So, um, you can't play Opportunistic and Assassinate on the same attack.
1: Right. Um, and then the counter example here is uh, I don't know how many are like this but Glory of the Kill is use after you resolve an attack targeting a figure so that is you know, specifically after the attack has been resolved so the timing window for the assassinate kind of blocking everything has expired although I don't see anyone playing Glory of the Kill but you know <laughs> there's, the, there's the thing you can do
0: yeah, I think there's a couple there's not too many. Resolve an attack. Um lateral damage is one. Uh, shoot the messenger. Mm-hmm. Escalating hostility. Yeah. Ooh. So you can use escalating hostility shoot the messenger is funny shoot the messenger is funny because that works the way people think celebration works (laughs) (laughs) if celebration had been worded that way it would also work with assassinate but that's not how it works Mm yeah anyway oh wow shoot the messenger that looks good in strain lists oh yeah oh yeah anyway okay cool so let's get into our main topic here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. let's go. All
0: right. I'm gonna put the map up on the screen. So we are talking about the new, but old map. <laughs> is uh, let's see, Tarkin Initiative Labs. So uh, Wesley, you added in the notes here that this is gonna be rotating in to replace Devron Garrison. Thank you for adding that note.
1: Yep, and I threw in a sad face. Goodbye, Goodbye, Devron. I'll I'll miss you.
0: Yeah, I saw your sad face. So uh, what do we think about (laughs) Devron? Let's give Devron a little quick send-off. What do we think of that?
1: I I miss uh, Melee Figure Fight Club. (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah I've been trying for a long I was trying for a long time to get Devron Garrison into rotation and I was kind of worried about it when it did rotate if I'd made a mistake but honestly I, th- I thought that map ended up being very very fun And yeah, was that was fun. my that's my favorite
1: map that's been in since I've uh, played the game yeah
0: definitely a lot of strategic diversity in that map um, more mm-hmm. than you would think looking at it but moving on we have Tarkin Initiative Labs and this is an old map uh, that was already in rotation uh, during the FFG days. This was actually in rotation during the heyday of Specter Cell. Um, so one of the last maps to be rotated um, into competitive play for FFG. <clears throat> and so, uh, so Wesley, you you started playing after, kind of after like after ICP started, right? So, mm-hmm. have you mm-hmm. played? Do you have any experience with this map?
1: No. No. Uh, every time someone says, like, oh, yeah, the new map is the old FFG one, I'm like, well, you know, that's that's a cool history lesson. It doesn't bring up anything for me, though. Oh, right.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Because
1: well. I I played casually uh, previously with friends, but it's not like we even knew there was a rotation map set up back then.
0: Right. Um. So, yeah, this one, I have a lot of experience on this, because I was playing in a bunch of tournaments when this map was in rotation, so... This Mac brings a lot of memories back, um, and hopefully I'll be able to give some good insight on this. So let's talk about the missions here. We have Mission A, and actually why don't you read it out so I can pull up the uh, mission card on Vassal.
1: Yeah, sure. So Mission A, Rogue AI, uh, you set aside a neutral mission token of each color, so blue, green, yellow, and red face down. And then you're going to flip the red token face up and place one strain token on the red console on the map. So you're going to put a strain token on the console near the middle of the map. And that's the setup. And then during the game, when a figure enters a space containing a console with a strain token, that figure's player gains two VPs. Then you flip one of the random other set-aside face-down neutral mission tokens face up. Whichever one you flip up, you're going to move the strain token to the console of that color. Then you're going to flip the previous face-up neutral mission token face-down, and I presume you also have to randomize them because each time you do this, you have to choose a random face-down one. Um, so that's scenario A. Scenario B is Abandoned Research, and this one looks fun. So in order of, of initiative when you're setting up, players take turns placing a colored experimental weapon token in a space marked with an X on the minimap without a weapon. Until all eight weapons are placed, limit two weapons of each color. So you're going to place eight tokens, two of each color, four colors. Each color corresponds to one of the dice in the game. A figure can retrieve a weapon token, but may only carry one. When a figure is carrying a weapon token and they declare an attack, add one attack die of that weapon's color to the attack pool, limit once per activation. End of each round, each player gains two VPs for each console he controls.
0: and um, before we go any further I do want to mention for those listening to the audio podcast um, we will do our best to call out what we're talking about um, but if uh, you might want to check out the YouTube link for this one um, because we do have the map and a lot of the cards up on the screen for this so it'll make it a lot easier to follow along Um, okay so going into the missions here so thank you for reading those out Um, yeah we have two interesting ones Um, We should call out that the four objectives in the middle of the map are always there. Um, Those tokens, Mm -hmm. at least. They work differently on each one, but they will always be there. And then the uh, eight colored tokens are exclusive to mission B. Um, So, yeah, I have some rules notes I want to go over here, and then we can kind of talk about them. Um, For Rogue AI... Um, the next objective that gets generated so it always starts on red we should note that uh, so you put a strain usually put a strain token I think that's what you do um, yeah you put a strain token so you have a strain token it always starts on red and then whenever you select a random uh, one after after somebody scores it um, it will never go back to the same one it was already on uh, based on how the wording is um, you 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 always choose from the face down tokens you have set aside so you'll never be choosing the face-up whatever's already Um, face-up and then the other thing to note is that a figure has to enter a space with the strain token and the objective token to score it Um, if you have a figure that is like standing on an objective and the objective randomly moves to that space uh, that figure won't score that won't score those VPs and set off set it off again. Um, that figure will have to exit that space and then re-enter it to score. Um, and you can actually dunk on people that are standing on a space from a previous round. If if it moves over to somebody and they're occupying that space, uh, you can have your figure move into that space, overlapping them. And when you do, you score the objective. You pause and you reselect a new random objective. And then you continue your movement, so you can actually do that.
1: Oh, so you can? Oh, yeah, you can not step through enemy figures, so you could step on it even if they're already on it.
0: Yeah. So I did not consider that. Yeah. So like, if you had somebody like somebody stepped on the red one and ended their movement there, mm-hmm. you know, it went over to the green one. Then somebody else stepped on the green one, and then it moves back to red. Well, then there's a figure occupying it, but you can move through that. Sp- figure score the points and then continue your movement yeah
1: yeah and then it would uh move again like you said before they continue their movement out of that square
0: yes you'd actually pause you'd actually pause the game with two figures overlapping each other to resolve that
1: yeah last night writing notes for this i was like oh if you play massive figures you could just put something on a big thing and you know block access to it if it happens to land there but actually no no yeah. No, the best you're doing is adding an extra movement point
0: or two. That's right. Um, okay, and then for abandoned research, I have quite a few notes here. So um, first thing to note for abandoned research, players actually cho- get to choose deployment zones after they finish setting up the tokens, uh, the, the weapon tokens. And that's important. It it didn't always come up. A lot of times, people just already knew which deployment zone they wanted once they had initiative. But what the steps is you do you choose initiative, then you do the mission setup, then players choose their deployment zones, uh, and so placing those tokens is part of mission setup. And so let's say maybe, you know, your opponent placed a red weapon token near one of the deployment zones, so that there's two of them, and you really want those red weapon tokens. You can be like okay now that the red token now I know where the red tokens are I'm gonna choose the deployment zone closest to them mm-hmm. <clears throat> it usually this one the map the deployments we're gonna get into the deployment zones um, there so one of them has such an advantage that you usually don't see that but it does come up sometimes um, for some people uh, the next thing I have here is the uh, the dice so adding a dice Uh, for the weapon tokens Um, it says limit once per activation and the way that Imperial Assault rules work that means that you can only get the bonus during an activation Um, so you don't get the added dice when you're doing a start of round or end of round attack from something like Call of Vanguard or Han or Vader's end of round attack Um, so that's important to keep in mind
1: interesting but probably balanced
0: yeah um, the other thing is that it's not optional to add the dice when you attack. So the first time you attack in an activation, if, you have a, if that figure is carrying a weapon token, it has to add a dice to that attack, and that's the only time it can do it during the activation. Um, so this is important for things like uh, figures that have multiple attacks in an activation, like CT or um, Sentry Droids. You can't slow roll and save the weapon dice for your second attack. Um, It's kind of similar to focus in that way. Uh, And it's also very important for uh, Greedo. So for folks that play Greedo, the reason it matters is... um, So people who play Greedo are used to... um, trying to attack with him in such a way that the defender doesn't have line of sight back to trigger slow on the draw, but sometimes you just have to, and sometimes it's worth it to sacrifice your Greedo to slow on the draw because you're still guaranteed an attack thanks to uh, parting shot. Uh, so sometimes you'll just sacrifice your Greedo to get the kill you need. But, if Greedo has a weapon token, uh, when you perform your attack, so the way that usually people do this is uh, Greedo... They'll, if they have stuff like Tools on the Job or Element of Surprise, you stack the abilities so that you resolve Slow on the Draw first, and then you play your attack abilities on whatever attack, either Parting Shot or your regular attack. Uh, but because this is a mission rule, this has to come before all abilities. So, Greedo will add a weapon dice to his attack uh, before Slow on the Draw triggers. Then slow on the draw happens, and if Greedo dies, he will not get the weapon, the extra dice from the weapon token on his parting shot. So that's really important to keep in mind if you're going to make a sacrifice play with Greedo.
1: Yeah, so the only way to, um, you know, really get used from that Greedo is to attack from where you can't be shot back, or to just not attack until Greedo is dying, and then use parting shot and get it as your first attack for the activation.
0: Yeah. And you will get to use it for parting shot if you're using it during, like, another figure's activation. Um,
1: Luckily, it works during any activation, and not just your own.
0: Yes, weapons work during any activation, and it's not limit once per <coughs> round. So, you know, Greedo could attack somebody, get an extra dice, and then somebody will activate, attack Greedo, kill him. He still gets that extra dice on his parting shot. Um, but he won't get it if he dies to an end-of-round attack, like we mentioned, because then he'll be attacking out of activation outside of an activation. Um, I think that's what I had for rules. So for the missions themselves let me pull them back up. We have Abandoned Research and Rogue AI. Um, Well we'll we'll talk about this during strategy I guess. Um, I don't think actually I do have anything else to say about the missions. So yeah, let's move into the next section unless you have any other anything else to say about like the rules for those missions.
1: I don't think so. Um just that yeah, it takes an action to retrieve and then you drop it in your space when you die for the weapons, correct?
0: Yes, yep. So yeah. figure and you cannot put down a weapon and I don't think you can pick up more than one. Yeah, Yeah, those are both true. So you can't put down a weapon to then pick up like a better color dice or something like that. So the only way, once you've picked up a weapon, the only way to drop it is to die. Um, Okay, so the layout of the map, uh, we've got four doors here on each side. Uh, They're all unlocked, and they don't open automatically, so you do have to open them with an action. Um, And then the Deployment zones are connected by four parallel hallways and generally I denote the hallways by the color of the objective from Rogue AI so we have um, up here is the yellow hallway, this is a green hallway, Mm kind of going down if you're looking at it with the deployment zones at the top Uh, the red hallway is kind of the main hallway, I also call this the terminal hallway, because you have the two terminals there, and then you have the blue hallway way out here where this kind of hangar big hangar tile is. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> and just speaking to the layout, I did right here, there is very little cover on this map once the doors are open, so it's actually quite good for uh, long range fingers, and we'll get into that with strategy. Um okay terrain so very little terrain to speak of on this map but there are two very important ones Uh, that's the most the one we're going to be talking about a lot is this tree blocking terrain here um, by the yellow and the green in the in the yellow hallway Um, this creates a really nice little spot here that I and a lot of people call the treehouse so that's Mm. important to note and then this blocking terrain here is also very important because it blocks line of sight into the blue deployments terminal from the uh, green hallway and mm-hmm. it also provides a tiny little bit of extra cover from the red terminal to the blue terminal uh, yeah you have the, the red the red side has to move one space further to get a shot at the blue sides terminal but it's not it's not a lot um, but it's worth noting also for figures that have mobile which is why I usually bring up terrain, Um, Being able to cut across from this space to this space is quite um, useful. Uh, And the same is true for folks in the treehouse. To be able to go from the treehouse to this space in one movement instead of three movement points is uh, very useful. Yeah. All right. And now we'll go into the deployment zone. So you you made a note here on the blue deployment zone. Um, Yeah, so
1: um, I counted on the the blue deployment zone, going down to the red hallway, it takes four to get to the door, you open the door, and then you go two more and you're at the red terminal, but you're in the hallway that connects towards the, the big open hangar bay room, so you're actually one space further, you can call it downwards or south, you're one space further south than if you start from the red hallway and move six to get over to the red terminal, so... Basically, it's one space easier to get to the blue terminal from the blue deployment zone if you're going down the red hallway.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, you're slightly deeper into the map than the red deployment zone is. Um, yeah. yeah, that's worth noting. Um, and then both sides can get to their terminal uh, with three movement points, as you noted, so that's good for R2.
1: Yeah, I know our other two maps are uh, not as R2-friendly. I think Bespin is four spaces away on each deployment zone, and Earthscrew is three on one and four on the other.
0: That's true. Um, And then I wanted to mention, uh, once again, the treehouse. So uh, this is on the red deployment zone side, and this is a very, very powerful forward positioning space. Um, As I mentioned, there's almost no cover on this map once you open the doors. But this allows the red deployment zone player to exert a lot of control over the green and yellow hallways. Basically half of the map, right? If you think about it, that's half the deploy- uh, half of the objectives. That's the green and the yellow objective. So mm-hmm. having that to be able to pressure, if you put like a strong attacker in there, it is very hard for the opponent to get up to get an attack. They have to move all the way up to this space to be able to attack you, which is pretty far, and also leaves them very open to counterattacks from any figures that are near the in or near yeah. the red deployment zone. Um, so, if you're the red player, you basically get to control the half that half of the map, um, and the blue player does not really get a similar advantage um, from this blocking terrain. Uh, as I mentioned, they get one space advantage, but it's not very much because it just means that they, the red player has to go one two three, they can still go 4 spaces and be able to see most of the blue player's uh, terminal spaces um, mm-hmm. so most people agree, red has a very strong advantage on the deployment zones at least for controlling the green and yellow side of the map if you're blue, you are going to want to be focusing more on the red Uh, terminal um, hallway and you might have to give up some concessions to green and yellow until you can push very hard to get to the treehouse.
1: Yeah, and since the green and yellow are closer to the deployment zones, that's an overall advantage for the red side.
0: Yes, yep. Because it takes less effort to get over there. Yep. Okay, so now we can kind of get into the strategy. So, um, you, you put a lot of good notes in here. They're very specific, so I'm going to... Yeah, I'll, let's do general. Yeah, I'll go over the general stuff, because um, like I said, I've played a lot of games on these maps during kind of the heyday of competitive FFG uh, tournaments. Um, well, at least it was to me. Maybe some people would disagree about that. Uh, so anyway, uh, so strategy. So controlling the red slash terminal pathway is really critical. Um, because again, that's where your terminals are. Um, that's also where Rogue AI, like the starting um, objective is. So, usually the person who can get the um, get to the red objective first on Rogue AI is going to be at an advantage. Um, <clears throat> long range units do have an edge on this map. Once you start opening those doors, uh, it's just these long hallways, right, that go from one side of the map to the other. There's very little impeding terrain to stop line of sight. Um, and then opening your doors, knowing when to open your doors and knowing which doors you're supposed to open is really important on this map. Because really, you can't really do anything. Everything that matters on the map, other than your terminal, is behind a door. So, mm-hmm. you can't. You could try to go all the way around to to through the blue area, but it's really far. And by the time you do that, if you do that, your opponent's going to get a lot of benefits from both VPs from the objectives, and especially on abandoned Research, they're just going to be scooping up all the weapons, and that's going to be really bad for you. So you kind of have to time it right so that you can exert your control on those areas um, without uh, leaving yourself too vulnerable.
1: How effective of a strategy is it to open your deployment zone door and then, you know, bust out the floodgates head down to the red area if you need to if it's a uh, rogue ai but leave the door by your terminal closed so your r2 or your officer just has a lot more
0: safety uh it's like i said it's more effective if you have the red deployment zone because um, then you're able to defend that area a lot better if you're mm-hmm. the de- if you're the blue deployment zone you it's not as good because you're just a lot more exposed in general um even the deployment zones themselves, that blocking terrain here with this tree offers a measure of protection to the red deployment zone that the blue deployment zone doesn't have so like, for blue, if you open your door all of your deployment zone spaces except for the very farthest south and southern spaces become exposed to uh... red's attacks, ranged attacks um... so generally You don't have to open your terminal door right away, so you will usually keep it closed for a little bit um, to like kind of set up, get yourself set up, and then you open your door when you're ready to fight. But uh, unless you're red, red will usually open their deployment zone door, uh, and it's actually good for red to open it early because that way it really punishes blue if they open theirs. Because most lists don't have like multi group figure multi figure groups or they didn't in the past. Maybe that's not the case now. But um if you open if red opens their door first and then blue tries to open their door, they'll be wasting usually an action to do that and not be able to attack and then they get counterattacked by red. But what what was your yeah. were you did you have a thought on a strategy there or just kind of curious?
1: Just just trying to think like, you know, if because um going down to the red path seems to be about the same number of move points as going down the going from those terminal door going from your deployment zone, uh going through those doors to the red terminal seem, or red console seems to be about as much movement as going through the center doors in the middle of the map. And so my thought there was, oh, so can I just ignore that door by the terminal and, you know, R2 is safe for the map. Unless they run around the blue side or something. Just keeping your terminal sitter safer. But you're saying that that's a lot easier for the red side to do. Because they control the green and blue, the green and yellow, a lot easier. All right, take it. I lost you.
0: Okay, so let's just continue on. Uh, so yeah, what were we? Sorry, what were we talking about?
1: Uh, you had explained why it wasn't always going to be the best idea to leave that middle door closed. Just for the sake of protecting your terminal sitter?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you have to leave your doors closed just because your opponent has too much pressure on you if you open them. Um, And you have to time. Like, sometimes you just have to time it so that you get. You open the door at the end of the round and then you can get first activation on the next round to go through it and attack. Uh, That's. Uh you guys definitely check out the video I posted of Steve versus Kyle from uh, Washington Regionals. That was played on this map and um Kyle did an excellent job navigating uh Vader and Palpatine against Steve's Han um Han Solo list.
1: Uh is that the reason you posted that one? Because I think you said at the beginning it was a very older video from a few years ago.
0: Mhm. Yeah. And I just thought it'd be fun to do a flashback, but it was nice that that particular game was being played on that map, uh, which yeah. we just announced was rotating. So nice. there's also another. Uh, if you go back, you can find from Worlds Home Worlds 2020. There's a game of Derek versus David, which is D A V E I D. Really good um, game with this map uh, to watch. Uh, to see how those players navigated that game because they're both playing um, rangeless. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you want to
1: move on to your next bullet point here?
0: Yeah, so um, I put here that once you do open your doors and you start actually fighting, a lot of times you'll have like sniper fights across the hallways at each other um, from your terminals. And a good way to gain an advantage in those fights is to use um, body blockers which are cheap figures that you use to block line of sight to your more important figures so you kind of set up your own cover uh, and then you have your figures popping out to take shots at the opponent's figures Um, Hmm. and that's a good way to also gain ground without giving up objectives Um, so, so officers alliance smugglers Um, even R2-D2 ends up becoming Terrain a lot of the time because he's got 6 health and he's lucky so he's actually Mm. more durable and cheaper than a lot of your other figures uh, if you need to um, if you need to do that
1: yeah, I think he's a little too durable
0: (laughs) he's pretty hard to kill sometimes usually it takes 2, sometimes 3 attacks to kill R2 because he also recovers one (coughs) yep (laughs) yeah Yeah, He's a crazy
1: bucker.
0: Um, so the next thing I have is uh, the weapons. Um, so it's very important to plan out your turn so you can grab your grab weapons. Um, if your opponent starts picking up more weapons than you and starts being able to use them it's, it gets really bad for you. So um, something to note here is that a speed a figure that is either speed 5 or has mobile and speed four um, from the red deployment zone can actually move and pick up a weapon uh let's see where's my vassal window there it is uh they can move to pick up uh this weapon here from the deployment zone by standing in this space and then still have enough movement points to get back uh here i believe so one two three oh you know what actually the mobile cannot i guess you have to be speed five you need five. five yeah one, two three four five yeah I was thinking um, this space, but yeah, the weapons up here. So actually, can you go one, two, three? Yeah, you'd have to go back here, but then you're not really safe. You'd have to be in the treehouse. So, um, so I guess the thing I was thinking of was with Sabine, um, with Spectre Cell. The trick I used to do on people was um, I would have Hera open the door, then I would have Sabine move here. Pick up the weapon and step back to here, and I usually have Hera down here to give um, the bonus. So I'd leave I'd leave Sabine here out in the open. They'd usually and then as soon as they open their door, thinking they're gonna attack her, then I activate Spectre cell, attack with Sabine, get a accuracy bonus from Hera, and then use the two movement from Spectre to to move her in here. So that I think think that's what I was thinking. Cad Bane could do it
1: uh, similarly with his own ability. So go oh, yeah. out there, put himself on the tree, and then take away to the tree house. The second he would get attacked,
0: someone else starts their turn. Oh yeah, that's true. So that's interesting. And he's speed four, and he's also mobile, so he's really good on this map. So mm-hmm. yeah, so you would go one, two, three, four, or here and then I make the rules now right at the start of another figure's activation a friendly hunter so yeah he can move himself and then he would tuck into the treehouse so that's pretty great so yeah. he's going to be really good on this map if you have the red deployment zone um yeah. otherwise you kind of just pick them up where you can uh smugglers are really good they can do the same trick because of their um ability that gives them two movement points when they interact so let's see there they are and you kinda of picked up on this too in your notes that cheap figures are gonna be really good on the abandoned research mission.
1: Yeah, if we're getting to the uh specific figures, I think IACP hired guns are really good on this map.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were actually good, like they were playable in that metagame um just because of this map, like being five speed as you note here. And then having Rogue AI just bouncing the objective around and scoring a bunch of points, like, they were actually playable. Yeah.
1: Well, also with the weapons, uh, I noted that for both them and Greedo, and Greedo's also 5-speed, but if you're on advanced weapons, you can use that action to pick up the weapon, and then if someone kills the gun before they get another turn, they still get a shot with the weapon. Right. Same with Greedo. So it's it's like it's less risky to use that action to pick up a weapon when you could have used the action for something else because
0: you're still going to get the
1: attack with the weapon
0: yeah that's a really good point um
1: then i think i noted that like you know higher guns and like a lot of trooper lists like stormtroopers generic troopers um if you spread out like a group of three troopers across the map, have one of them touch that, let's say, rogue eye, you touch the red red console, it pops up to another one, you still get two more activations to run up and you know, try and just steal some more VPs in a row.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause the, especially if they are close to each other, like if it bounces to one that's nearby, you can sometimes score twice with a single figure and then keep scoring with another figure and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Strength and numbers
1: should be good on this. It can be,
0: yeah. It can be frustrating sometimes cause it's random. So sometimes like somebody just gets to bounce back and forth between green and yellow a bunch of times in the single activation. Yeah. And it's really frustrating when that happens to you. And then sometimes you do it and it just goes all the way to the blue one and you're done. So, I
1: know it has to be random each time. How do you do that in Vassal?
0: It used to... There used to be an indicator. Let's see. So, if you load up the mission, there's a a tool in the Vassal thing that lets you randomly pick a color. Okay. Sometimes it'll give you the same color it's already on, and you just have to keep uh, rolling that. Pressing it until it doesn't.
1: Cool. Cool.
0: Uh, Let's see, the other thing I wanted to note here, uh, yeah, so for, if you're playing like, um, melee, um, sometimes what you'll do is you'll open your door, the middle door where the terminals are, but not put any figures there to get shot, and then you can actually, if you have ten movement, so either a speed five figure or like Gideon or an officer, you can get a figure up to one of these corners, by going past your terminal, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a good way to get closer to the opponent without exposing yourself to attacks. Because your opponent has to get like um, here or here to be able to attack attack you there. You're not totally safe. They can get they can actually get there, but um, it gives you a nice jumping off point for somebody like Ahsoka or Ezra.
1: Yeah, that's true
0: you can also just move all the way up to their terminal door, like that's what we saw Kyle do in that game I mentioned um, is he he opened his door and then just moved his Vader all the way over here and Palpatine and it made it so that if Kyle, that, that one in particular was helped by the fact that Vader has an end of round attack so if Steve had opened the door then Vader would have gotten an end of round start of round on him mm-hmm. um, so that's something to think about uh, that's what I used to do with Specter Cell as well is I would have uh, usually Ezra would open the door to the terminal and then move all the way up to the opponent's uh, terminal door and then move somebody else up there with him and just kind of rush the opponent You're gonna if you're playing a melee list unless you have like end of round tricks like Vader you're probably going to end up eating some attacks on your way in it's just kind of inevitable so you just want to make sure you're like pushing hard and pushing in mass so that something mm-hmm. is left and something survives to counterattack once you after you eat an attack from the opponent, once they open their door.
1: Yeah.
0: Alright, so yeah, what do we want to get into on your specific notes here?
1: Not I mean we covered most of them. I think the only one left is Uh, Obi-Wan, on abandoned research, can position himself in a few spots to deny control for most figures in the game to two of the terminals at once, or two of the consoles at once.
0: That's interesting. So, because his ability is within three spaces, cannot interact and not count for the purposes of control. So which terminal are you talking about?
1: Uh, so like if you look on the blue deployment zone side between the yellow and green hallways that little that little spot that's a little bit covered uh three if he stands there three spaces out would be like further like far enough so that no one can control the yellow or green terminals on the
0: opponent's side. oh, I see one two, and yeah, then it I goes out to think... here and here
1: closer to the middle of the map, you can do that with green and red on a spot or two, and then I'm not sure if you can do it for red and blue. One, two, three. Four, one, two. Yeah, you can't really do it for red and blue. Okay. You can't do it for green and red.
0: Yeah, if you put them here. Or here, I guess, but, it's safer.
1: Yeah. But he doesn't really have too much in the way of helping for rogue AI because that's not an interact it's just a movement Um, but it is a good point if you know if Swarm lists to become more popular due to this then he's kind of a good counter to that because your two, three, four point figures can't control when Obi-Wan's standing in the way
0: he's also a fantastic body blocker um, especially if you give him some block tokens with extra armor he is a tank he's slow and you actually don't you're actually not too sad if he dies, because then you got a focus, and you're only giving up four VPs. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty good mm-hmm. on this map. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have too much else either. Um, generally what you see is people fighting in the terminal hallway. Somebody gets to take the early lead on the yellow and green and then somebody else gets to come around from the red side to try to get an attack on them. Um, You generally don't see people fighting in the blue area all that much um, but I think it's an area you should not ignore uh, because like I said there's these corners here that you can fight in um, so I definitely pushed into that area a lot and I saw people doing it a lot more once, once they saw us doing it so It's a fun map, though.
1: Oh, man. I was about to make a joke about Moff Gideon, but that's once per round.
0: (laughs) Expendable allies. Um, But it is pretty good for him. Rogue AI, especially. If you can get that Mm -hmm. um, red one, you can trigger your focus early. Whatever focus... I mean... um, Not focus. You can trigger your sacrifice ability... Which generally you see being used with uh, Royal Guards to focus them, so... Mm -hmm. yeah, okay.
1: That makes more sense, because I never really saw too much value in his expendable allies, because you're, you know, you get four VPs if you you set everything up right, and the stars align. You get the mission points when you need them, when you're set up. Uh, You're getting four VPs, but you're typically giving up at least two to your opponent to do it, and losing an activation. For the Royal Guards, maybe it's worth
0: it. Yeah, Expendable Allies is actually quite powerful um, because it's deceptive. Because it feels like you're giving up VPs, but you're actually not. Um, you're giving up a figure which was probably going to die anyway uh, mm. to get four VPs out of the Aether. That wouldn't have existed at all. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed with him, if you can use his ability like consistently, you you just shoot up in victory points. Um, But it's hard to trigger, so that's kind of the balance of it. Hmm. But uh, he's good on this map. So I think we're done with maps that he can't score on, right? So maybe we'll see uh, Moff Gideon get a little more play. Oh no, I guess Bespin you can't. Yeah, Bespin's hard to score on.
1: Think, uh, I think we're, we'll need someone to lead the charge and show us how to play Gideon on the YouTube channel to really drive some engagement with him.
0: <laughs> Alright, well, any other cards we want to talk about for this map?
1: I just think, you know, Body Blockers with multiple activations really good, and especially Hired Guns. Um, you talked about a number of them, of your own figure choices here. Good old Specter Cell, Mobile, the Treehouse. Uh, I'm just curious to see how Herbie's Rankors do here.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's actually an interesting one. Uh, massive figures. You generally see them charging across the yellow, yellow mm-hmm. pathway. Um, I remember Banthas didn't like this map all that much because they had to open the door on the other side. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah it'll be interesting to see how that goes yeah I think that's it alright I think that's it Uh, thanks everybody for listening it's good to be back I hope you guys are enjoying your games Um, remember we have Odettepecon coming up and then season 8 is going to be coming out at the end of April coming up soon
1: those will be some fun podcast episodes once the previews come out.
0: Yes, definitely. All right, everybody. Oh, uh, Wesley, did you want to plug anything before we go?
1: Yeah, my uh, my editing software is open right now. I've got a new recording, and I'm trying to figure out uh, how masking works again. <laughs> and uh, I should be posting something before this goes up. So by the time you see this video, I should have a new
0: Imperial Assault gameplay podcast up. Or vassal log review awesome and we'll have the link to wesley's channel in the description of the youtube video um you guys can check out the link to the video if you're listening to the podcast audio and uh we'll catch you soon thanks for listening all right bye everyone stay frosty all right another one in the books